everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network. Happy Monday to you all as we just experienced a double dose of WWE this weekend with NXT in your house and Hell in a Cell going down live from the Allstate Arena in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Keela Cash, and by my side, as always, is my right-hand man, my co-captain, the wise man, sometimes advocate for Von Wagner, and until further notice, bandwagon supporter of the Boston Celtics, I bring to you, as always, Scott Young. Welcome back. Loser. <laughs> oh my God. So, first off, I bleed green, you know? Big Celtics fan here. I've been a big Celtics fan since the since game one of the NBA Finals. Been, been rooting for them hard, following them hard, you know? Big Tatum supporter here since game one of the finals. Secondly, Keela, usually it's always a pleasure to, to chop it up and talk all things WWE, but whoa. <laughs> whoa. Oh my goodness. I feel the animosity all because I just bleed green for a couple weeks. You know, I had a, I had a great weekend to start. You know, it was riding high off of a game one win and Lord knows instead of just Recording on Saturdays like we normally do, WWE got to throw a show out there. And so now we stuck recording on a Sunday after the, the Celtics then got blown out. So you know what, Keela? I'm not doing that great. How about that? I'm not doing that great. But I'm doing better than Cody is. We, we are all doing better than Cody at this point. But, you know, if you did the show Saturday, you could have had one day of glory to brag about the Celtics beating Golden State. But here we are, and we're tied one-to-one going back to Boston on Wednesday night. So you had a day, and then you blew it by allowing me to kick off the show like that. Yeah, you know, I uh, I had to play my cards. I'd rather... It was either do the show Saturday and then, you know, talk my smack and still get the same result and get blown out and then have to still hear it. So either way, I was going to get it in anyway, but I guess I could have talked my smack on Saturday, but here or there, it doesn't matter. Boston's going to go home. We're going to win both games because I bleed green, you know, big Celtics fan here from day one, day one of the finals, at least. At least you admit it. It was day one of the finals. You've been a fan for what? Four days now. Listen, I keep it 100. It is what it is. I, I, I'll keep it 100. Who? It didn't matter who was playing the Golden State Warriors. I was going to be their, their biggest fan from day one of the finals. And I will not let this go until you say the one thing that you need to say. The Warriors suck. Oh, no, something else. Something that would scream Seth freaking Rollins anytime the Chicago Bears lose a game. I hate basketball. There it is. Music to my ears. It's heavenly to know that you hate basketball. And I love basketball today. It's my favorite sport. And my second favorite sport is professional wrestling. And we got a double dose from WWE this past week in Hell in a Cell, which had a memorable main event. And before that, we had NXT in your house going down live from the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. And you know what, Scott? They skimped on the house this year. They couldn't even build a house at the PC to play into the in your house theme. 
that was one of the coolest things from I think it was last year, the year before, uh, when Io Shirai jumped off the house. That's one of the you know just memorable moments like that. So yeah, like you can't you could have just gave me a cardboard house. I mean, we know Braun needs something to break at the end of the night. He could have literally tore the house down on the way to Joe Gacy, but no, they they couldn't even give us a house or anything. Like, come on, two point We know you saving money as it is. Give us a house. You owe us a house. They gave us a wall. A brick wall he broke through. And that was a cheap ass <laughs> wall at that. Right. Embarrassing. So we got like a low rent in your house version of the show last night. But the matches were not low rent. They were pretty good by NXT 2.0 standards. And we kick things off with Legato the Fantasma versus Tony D'Angelo. Stacks and two dimes. And this match was good. It over-delivered in a lot of ways. My one critique is for Stacks and two dimes. They're actually pretty good in the ring, but until further notice, they're Goomba 1 and Goomba 2 Tamikas. I cannot tell them apart. This is worse than Scott and Dash. Which is which from the OG NXT days? I need help. I'm going to be honest with you. I was going to take it a step further and say this was the Basham brothers <laughs> between Doug and Danny because who knew who Doug and who knew who Danny was? You know what I mean? Like, this is what they reminded me of, but they're solid. And you, to be honest with you, maybe they don't need to stand out right now. They just need to be the goons. Like, you know who they are as a unit. You know who they are as a group. And if they can continue putting in the work like they have in the limited amount that I've seen, I can live with that for right now as them just being the henchmen for, for Tony D, you know, just being the goons, essentially. Uh, this match was, I thought this was excellent. The crowd, re- I, I talk about it all the time on this show, a crowd elevating a match. And this was really the definition of a crowd elevating a match. The crowd was on fire for this for both squads uh for for both uh, teams legato del fantasma let me tell you them boys they can they they work really well as baby faces much better especially santos escobar much better than i thought they could they work really well as baby faces and the crowds behind them i thought tony d had a different look into his game like the way he carried himself during this match was much more serious than he normally is he wasn't really playing games he didn't really have that snarky smile on his face he was all business this was a really good quick hard-hitting match Tony D'Angelo is another one of those guys you know we talk about Carmelo Hayes Braun Breaker Grayson Waller Tony D's right there too man he's definitely improved his game he's got a gimmick you know he's got a, a character that works obviously it's over the top but you can you can tone down some things and turn up some things to, to really get the character where you need it to be but as far as him kind of being a almost ready-made complete package he's getting about as close as you can to a, a guy that's ready to get called up to that next level and if the family can pick it up as quickly as he has you have a unit that's ready to go up there. Legato should be up there. They're they're incredible. They're fantastic. And I'm actually more intrigued in what's going on with this story now that they have to be a part of the family. This could lead to some really intriguing things. I, I thought this match was fantastic. Uh, the tag team of uh, Raul, Men- uh, Raul Mendez, I know that's not his name anymore, but that's what I'm still going to call him. And Joaquin Wilde, like, they're great as a tag team, baby, as babyface tag team. They The, uh, the double spring board they hit on the outside was beautiful Santos Escobar is fantastic might be the best worker 
on NXT 2.0 right now because I don't see Roderick Strong around anywhere. But so Santos might be the best guy there, and he's excellent. Great guy for Tony to be working with. I just can't say enough good things about this match. Great way to start the show. And the crowd was hot. Like, this felt like one of those old school takeover crowds that ate up everything. And rightfully so. This was a really good match. And now we have two families combined as one because now Gotham City comes to NXT. We got Mob Wars 2022 breaking out. I love it. And Tony D'Angelo is by far the most complete personality on this show. It's a very dated gimmick, but he makes it work for him. He just carries himself like a star. I do miss the suplexes because I think that brings out his true in-ring technique. But right now he's a heel and you can't do really crowd-queasing splots crowd um crowd pleasing spots in order to get the fans on your side right now which i completely understand but on the whole i thought this was a really fun way to kick off the show and i cannot wait to see how tony d runs shop with legato being his subservience for now yeah and i i think that's that's actually a compelling story because they've done a good job with this kind of turf war that they've established so i i'm curious to see you know do they just become this dominant you know, huge faction with, you know, Tony D and Santos kind of running things, or is this, you know, Santos and Legato, you know, you know, undermining Tony D at every turn. And I do want to touch on the finish, which I actually liked. They brought the, uh, uh, a crowbar into the ring and, and Santos went to, or one of the, uh, I think it was Joaquin went to grab it and went to hit Tony D. He missed him, smacked one of the, one of the family brothers, one of the goons in the face, knocked him out. And as he did that, Electra had slid some brass knuckles. This was the part that was a little off. I thought he took a little, you know, he was smiling, he took a little too much time slipping those on. I thought that should have been a little bit quicker. When he grabbed those, Tony D kicked him, grabbed him, knocked out Joaquin for the win. This was just, uh, you know, the finish I thought was really good and played into all the weapons, kind of the gang warfare that they they kind of established. And it called back on different things throughout the story. Electra Lopez coming out there and playing a role. So I, I like like that part of it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually very intrigued with this story to see what comes of it because I think you could even you could eventually turn Tony D babyface eventually if you want to because the crowd is ready to get behind him as well or you could just have this eventually lead to another Tony D Santos Escobar for control of the whole group or something like that too. This is definitely a multi-layered feud, which I'm into. It's one of the few storylines that work on NXT. You got two compelling personalities, and Tony D'Angelo and Santos Escobar, that can definitely pull this off. I love the vignettes. They're very corny, but high-end at the same time. The yacht scene this past Tuesday was awesome, and Jeremy Borash is living his best life putting these vignettes together for us. So I'm digging it. It's a good long-term story. This is far from over, as I expect the defection at some point involving Legato or Tony D'Angelo and Tony D can be that over baby face. He's got what it takes in the ring and he's coming along nicely for doing this less than a year. And last night, I should say Saturday night at in your house was a great example of that with stacks and two dimes more. They're carrying their weight in the ring. As we move on to the NXT women's championship match tag team match, I should say featuring Katana chance, the Caden Carter versus Jesse Jane and Gigi Dolan from toxic attraction. I thought this match exceeded expectations. I enjoy Casey and Jojo as a tag team and I'm going to be very brazen in saying this, but I think it's true. And the fact that you need something on NXT that stands out. Katana Chance and Caden Carter stand out as a tag team. They've been together for well over a year now and they just click as a tag team. 
what the young bucks are for AEW. These two ladies can be that for NXT 2.0 by delivering batshit crazy tag team matches in the women's tag team division. They should be the next champions. There are other tag teams on this show. They can definitely elevate along the way. But I just feel in my heart, they have what it takes to really add a spark. They do things that nobody else does on this show. They do high-flying shit very well. And everything they do is compelling. Is it always smooth? No. They got to work on timing and just making sure things are smooth out a bit. But as a team, they're the best damn team on this show in the women's division. Wow, that's uh that's high praise for Casey and Jojo. I I actually was more impressed with with Gigi and, and JC. I I thought they looked really good. I man, I they just seem to be the same to me. You know, I yeah, they've gotten a little bit better, but to me they just seem to be the same. They're the same characters. They're the same wrestlers. They're the same people. Um I, I just, I don't really see, I don't see them in the same light as you do. And, you know, I, I don't know what it is about them, but this is kind of where I see them as that plucky baby face team that you, you know, give a couple wins over, but you don't really, you know, you don't really push them as a top team. They're not, they're not that top tier team. But, but then again, it's like, who else does NXT have? You have to, you have to give, put the titles on somebody eventually. The babyface has to eventually overcome the odds. But who else does NXT have? I just, I just don't know if it's them. I, I, I don't, I don't quite see it. I hate the one dimensional rave gimmick. I don't feel it. That's the one drawback for me. If they were able to be themselves, I would take them a bit more seriously. But I think they are the most complete tag team besides the tag team champions. I did think that JC Jane and Gigi Dolan did a good job in this match against Chance and Carter. They're pretty smooth in there. JC Jane has impressed me a lot in the last few months, as I thought she was pretty off on her own at first. But with Gigi, she's much better and she's a more complete performer. And you see the potential there. But Maybe there's another team or two that can fill out the division, but these two are clearly above everything else, even on the WWE main roster. And the finish came when Jesse struck Caden Carter and Gigi delivered a very nasty German suplex with shoulders up, by the way, for the win. So I don't think this feat is over by a long shot, but I just think in terms of excitement and creativity, Carter and Chance are the better tag team long term. But of course, you need more tag teams in this division to truly make it pop at the end of the day. You know, and I think somebody like like a Cora Jade is someone who if you team her up with a a windy chew, you know, someone who can, who can work in the ring. I know she had a, a title match later on in this, in this show, but that kind of would fit into the story. Like everyone has some type, every woman on the roster has some type of beef with toxic attraction at this point. Like they've, they've been established and dominant to the point where everyone has some type of beef. So for people to just kind of start teaming up and I think it would be good for Cora Jade to be in a tag team, to be able to just make the hot tag. Like, let's not underestimate how a lot of guys and girls, but just a lot of people have gotten over being the hot tag in a tag team. You know, then let's not underestimate how impactful that can be. And I think that's something somebody like a a Cora Jade could really work well with. And a Wendy Chu is someone who can kind of 
Io Shirai, she's right there. What is she doing? Like there, you can lead, like there are people who can lead these younger women to these matches and you can still have a purpose from like, I just don't, I don't see how you have Io Shirai just sitting on the sidelines when you don't have anything else for them to do. Put them in a tag team and this would help Cora Jade and her experience and help Gigi and Jace in their experience too. Like there's, there's so many things you could be doing to improve the tag division or to at least give yourself a tag division while still melding and blending the youth with the veterans and having them work with different styles. There's just things you could be doing in Io Shirai's right there. Unfortunately, Io is injured right now, so she's not available to guide anyone. And I will say this. She's not right there. huh? She's not right there. She's on the sidelines, unfortunately. And I will say this as I do every week. They fired Dakota Kai. She was right there to provide the assist. Mm-hmm. Now, even though she didn't want to renew that contract, she was more than willing to fulfill her obligations and WWE said, nope. And now look where we are. We have one less experienced veteran there guiding these ladies along the way because the seasoned vets right now are Jesse Jane, Gigi Dolan, Mandy Rose, and Wendy Chu. That is the extent of experienced wrestlers outside of possibly Roxanne Perez. That's it. The end of the list. And that's not good. <sighs> Yeah, and, I, and that, that's that's kind of where the problem comes in. And, and Natalia's going to help. You know, she's a good veteran to have down there. Kaylee Ray, I, um, I, I can never remember what her new name is, but that's another one. But you, you're going to have to start bringing these women down. Indy Hartwell has become a veteran. You know, people like that are kind of the veterans. So it is... It is going to be interesting to see what happens with these with the women going forward. Luckily, they've got some women that have really kind of caught on pretty quickly. Like I, I think I think Cora's caught on pretty quickly. She's still rough around the edges, but she is caught on. Uh, she hit a little bit of a wall. Tiffany Stratton's caught on. I think Nikita Lyons has something, or at least there's an intrigue there. Lash Legend is someone we both have talked about that has gotten better. Uh, Roxanne is someone who's clearly gotten better uh, from even from her Ring of Honor. Like. You, we know how talented she is and she's going to continue to get better just with the more reps she gets. So it is going to be curious to see what the women can do, but it does seem like whatever they're doing is working because they have women who are standing out and who are getting better. Yes. And Coconut Circuit's coming and hopefully the game we're experiencing on the road, which is very important as we try to finesse this women's division. It's got potential. We got a ways to go without season vets there most of the way with very few exceptions. And I will not leave out Ivy now. She's coming along pretty well. And I got to give a shout out to Kiana James as well. It's a one note mathematician gimmick, but somehow, some way she makes it work. Well, you got to stand out somehow. Yes. And a statistician is one of the ways to do it on this show. (laughs) Very glow vibes, 1985. I don't think that's what they're going for. But look, this is an XT superstars, 1993. So why not at this point, as we move on to Carmelo Hayes versus Cameron Grimes for the NXT North American championship. And I got to say from the jump, mellow and trick the fur in june was icy cold cool and i loved the presentation of both men they look like stars even before the bell rang just just a top tier act right here this is arguably maybe not even arguably anymore it's this might be the this is probably the best act on 2.0 um we talk about tony d being one of the most complete acts this is a complete act this is ready to go this is ready for main roster um he he's one of those guys 
him and Trick especially, with Trick is the hype man, he's one of those characters and wrestlers who just works better on top, works better as champion, works better as the guy that everybody's trying to get to. One, because when he says something, he normally does it. When he says he's going to do something, he normally comes through. He backs up everything that he says. Yeah, he cheats when he needs to. Yeah, Trick does what he's supposed to. But when he gets in the ring, like most of the time he takes care of his own business. He's just so cocky and arrogant and he knows how to still get people to dislike him. And that's a hard trait to have, especially as a heel, when you're, you got a pretty good amount of swag oozing off of you as it is. Like him and Trick, like you mentioned, they just wore some fur that would normally piss any. If the Miz wore that outfit, it would piss everybody off. You know what I'm saying? Like it would piss everyone off if he wore that outfit. But them boys wore it, and people were like, okay, let me, okay, y'all boys feeling real icy right now, huh? Like so, I, I, I it's there's it's just certain people that that just have it and can do certain things and and mellow and trick as a combination they just work so well him and cameron grimes they have excellent chemistry cameron grimes arguably you know he's an excellent worker he's he has an excellent story but something was just missing from this run i felt like this was supposed to be the run to elevate him and get him ready for a main event run but something just was missing and part of it was it felt like it was just a holding until you know, Melo got the title back. Like, I feel like now things are back where they're supposed to be. Melo's back with the title. Like, I, and it's a weird thing to say, especially when he had such a compelling story. You know, he did it for his pop and, you know, he, he, he was able to pull it off. But after he had his big moment, it was like, all right, so when does Melo get the belt back? And that's not, I don't think that's how I'm supposed to be feeling about Cameron Grimes. And it's a weird thing. Uh, the match was excellent. One of the standout spots was the, from the middle rope, they hit a reverse Spanish fly. And when I say that, you know, you, you normally you hit the, the Spanish fly and he lands on his back. Well, this one, it, he landed, he had Melo land on his you know, face first, chest first. It was just a, a beautiful counter uh, from Melo going for a springboard clothesline. Just a, an excellent match. They both work so well. Melo, for a little, for a small, not a little guy, but for a smaller guy, he throws and lay in and lays in those clotheslines and he hits hard, man. He lets you know he's there. Uh, now that Malcolm Bivens is gone, Trick Williams is probably the best manager in the game. Especially for NXT 2.0, like, I mean, with with him gone, it's got to be uh, Trick Williams. But this was an excellent match, uh, and I'm 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 all for the A champion being back on top. Me too. I'm glad the title changed hands. Trick was interfering a bit too much for me, and it kind of took away from the match a bit. And I thought this match was good, but not great. And I got to agree with you regarding Cameron Grimes. I felt like he was a placeholder because I had a story to tell heading into Stand and Deliver. They told the story, but he felt very empty as champion because the solo Sequoia chance were kicking up right after that show. And he's more popular than Grimes right now. And it's going to be interesting to see if Melo gives Solo the shot after Grimes promised him the shot at the title next. And we know that promises can be broken by the heels regardless of who's the champion. And I just feel like Grimes was more over last year during the last days of 1.0 facing off against LA Knight for the Million Dollar Championship belt. That story was compelling. That's when Grimes 
minds was at his most over. And it's not like this audience has changed very much in a year. They still come to these shows every Tuesday. And this is a very loyal ride or die fan base for, for certain people. And I feel like he's lost them a bit in the last year or so. The reactions versus in an hour, night and day. And I just feel like he's not as over as he was before. And Carmelo clearly is the bigger star and more compelling champion right now. The A champion at that. And I just feel like from the start, he should have been the champion even after set and deliver. They had a story to tell with Grimes. I get it. You do it for your father. That's very important. But still, I felt that Carmelo Hayes had more equity and weight as being the North American champion. I'm going to be real with you. I think there's an argument to be made that this title and Carmelo Hayes in particular, him holding the title, you know, I'm as big of a Braun fan as anybody, but this whole thing with Joe Gacy just doesn't feel as important or main event level as Carmelo Hayes getting his North American title back. And that's all about Carmelo Hayes. Agreed. And I would not have said that a couple of months ago, but that Gacy feud is so bad that that Carmelo is elevated even more because of it. And he really is the A champion until Braun is fully away from Gacy and the Druids. And hopefully that happened after in your house this past Saturday. But it just feels different when Carmelo has that belt. It carries a different meaning and trick by his side makes them the most dynamic duo on this show and possibly one of the most overacts in WWE once they get outside of this bubble in Florida. Yeah, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I think I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of or and, and read about the reactions that they get on the circuit. Um, just just to see kind of how they react to it and just how people react to them in different areas. So I'm excited to see what that brings too. Me too. So I cannot wait to see those reports coming from Florida very soon. As I want to see how over everybody really is on Tuprano. That's a true metric, even though we're still staying in state. As we move on to Wendy Chu versus Mandy Rose for the NXT Women's Championship. And, you know, I have not been a big fan of this feud because of the Nickelodeon, uh, because of the Nickelodeon aspects of it. Very double dare with the what nerf water guns, the super soakers. We've had balls falling on Mandy Rose. We've had spitballs being spat at on Mandy Rose. Just a lot of sophomoric pranks by Wendy Chu. And I love Wendy Chu, the professional wrestler. And Karen, government name, has done a very good job being an old lady, being Wendy Chu, being Karen Q. And as Wendy Chu, she's a very good wrestler. The character sucks, but she's trying here. And Mandy Rose has been next to him as champion for 200 plus days. And the rain has been very hit or miss for me. I think Mandy has good moments in the ring and not so great moments. And I was not a fan of her dominating this match for 95% of it. It was very boring at various points. And when Randy Chu fired up, the match got better. And her versus her tracksuit was very funny down the stretch. She was trying to take off the tracksuit, trying to reveal the toxic attraction shirt. That did not work all the way. And she had a fight. And that was more compelling than certain aspects of this match, to be honest with you. And the pop of the match was that she locked in a sleeper on Mandy and the fans were actually popping for the finish, thinking, oh, my God, is she going to put Mandy to sleep? That did not happen. She missed her splash. And then Mandy hits the bicycle knee to retain the NXT Women's Championship. It was fine down the stretch, but I just can't take Wendy too seriously as a character. I loved her for one week when she did the sleeping gimmick initially because it was funny, but then it just ran itself into the Round because it's not Orange Cassidy. There's a nuance to what he does. There is no nuance to Wendy Chu. It's like a sophomoric, immature character pulling pranks on people. 
This is not Double Dare. This is not any Mark Summers produced or hosted show. It sucks. Present Wendy Chu as an over wrestler when her hair was wild and the pigtails were free. That is who I want to see. The badass putting in work, not a sophomore character that is very limiting in terms of character work and being over with the people long term. Yeah, I don't have any thoughts on this. This is a match was okay. Um, Wendy Chu solid. Mandy Rose is getting better. It was fine for what it was, but you know, I, I think they're they both. I'm I, I'm much more interested in Indy Hartwell. Like I know she just had a match against Mandy Rose, but where is she at? Like those, I'm not interested in Wendy Chu. You know, I would have personally rather have the uh, the breakout tournament finals here. You know, I know they want to save that for television, but. This match just did nothing for me, did nothing for my interest, and don't have a lot to say about it. And that's shade coming from Scott. It is. Like, he has very little to say about this match. He's like, move on to the next match, and I'm going to do that right now because, honestly speaking, it was all right. It wasn't good. It was fine, and I'm glad it's over, and Mandy Rose is still champion 200-plus days in. Good for her, and... May long she reign for now, heading into the one-year mark in October. I don't think it's lasting that long, but in WWE, you never know. As we have the Creed Brothers versus Pretty Deadly for the NXT Tag Team Championships. And as I noted to Scott a couple of weeks ago, right here on The Wrap, that Julius has a traditional in-ring entrance routine of straps down first, as if I don't know exactly what he's doing. But I digress on all of that. Yeah, he's um he's definitely, you know, generating interest for his eventual OnlyFans page that he will be opening up on the side. Um now this is this is more of what I'm talking about right here. This right here was was a really good tag match. The Creed Brother versus Pretty Deadly, two really good teams. Um Pretty Deadly, I think is is I think they're an excellent heel team. They just do a whole bunch of little things that like just piss you off and make you like, yo, just smack them in the face. And the Creed brothers are such the perfect counter for a team called the called Pretty Deadly. And just the styles work so well. Um, Julius and Brutus, those guys, they've come a long way from that very first match I watched them have. I guess I don't even remember who. And they would just literally like literally brutalized whoever they had that first match against. I mean, they they wore them out. I hope they took them out to eat <laughs> at the least after that first match because they had to buy them. I mean, there had to be shots waiting for them after the match in the back, but I hope they at least took them to eat afterwards because that one was, whoo, they laid into them boys. But this right here, like the progression, man, of these guys is excellent to see how in control of their character they are you know like and you you said what is their character where whether these guys who came from diamond mine who had to have somebody with them who are now doing this on their own like that's a natural story progression two guys from a group who were just two guys and now they're the creed brothers you know a, a strong dominant tag team on nxt 2.0 who've established themselves the Dusty Cup winners who have established themselves as their own team, as their own brand. That's who they are. There's a natural story there. Um, we, we got the uh, the Brutus bomb, the Brutus ball. Luckily, it wasn't to the floor because he wasn't. He surely didn't need to take that bounce again. And Julius, this guy, went up to the top rope 
and decided to pull out a shooting star press. And maybe I'm I maybe I'm overexcited about it because I certainly did not see that. In the back of my mind, I'm like, he's gonna do something crazy. Maybe it'll be like a frog splash, big elbow drop, and then it'll lead to but this dude started flipping and I said, Oh my God. And he landed it, got right up. And I, you know, and then he, he threw the clothes on just because they had put him through. They had already robbed him once and did all this just to lay that exclamation point on it. I love the finish. The crowd was so behind the Creed brothers. They were behind everything. This was excellent. This was 2.0 at its best. The long journey that the Creed brothers had, man, the only thing that would have made this better, and I know it's impossible to happen, would have been to have Malcolm Bivens there to just celebrate this with them because he he is just as big and important in the story. I mean, like in this journey that they've taken. And it's a shame that this win came and he wasn't there to be a part of it. Like, I just feel like the story is just a little incomplete with him not there. Even Ivy, like... Even her not coming out to celebrate with them, it just, some of this just, that part of it kind of felt a little bit like, nah, I think you could have added a little bit more to just make the moment feel bigger. But besides that, that's me nitpicking. This was a a really good match and a really good moment for the Creed brothers. Great finish. Yeah, I thought this was the best match on the show from Saturday. And the Creed brothers, as you mentioned before, the first time I saw them on two porno, it really was one porno in the summer of 2021, right before the switchover. And as you said, these guys murked that tag team. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know who they were. Murked them boys. (laughs) I don't know who they were. I felt sorry for them, but I was oddly intrigued because I was like, oh my damn, these guys are great. They're killing people, kayfabe style, and I dig it. And their progression since that reckless abandonment has really shown their growth as performers to really clean around the rough edges. They're still green, but you know they're going to get better. They're incredibly hard workers and Brutus Cannonball in the ring. Very smart decision. Don't do that on the floor anymore. And Julius, the shooting star press with the precision, the extension, the height and elevation. Somewhere Brock Lesnar was smiling and crying like that is what I wanted to do at WrestleMania 19 nearly 20 years ago. And Julius is a fucking heavyweight. He is not a lightweight. He is a big dude pulling off that move perfectly. And we had Mama and Papa created ringside waiting two or three times for their sons to be crowned tag team champions. It's finally happened. So good for them. And as you mentioned as well, Biv was missed for this moment. If he had the Cameron pink fit from Stand and Deliver, if he was there on Saturday, that would have been the cherry on top because he was ride or die for those guys. And I'm sure the text change messages were nice because he was really rocking with them up until the end. And that would have made the moment bigger alongside Ivy coming out there celebrating with her dudes. So I really thought this was a strong match. Pretty Deadly was a great stopgap to get the Creed's having this moment at In Your House. And for Julius Creed, I want to state for the record two words, Red Lobster, the end. <laughs> get them cheddar biscuits, boy. Let me say this. I I would not be surprised if Pretty Deadly maybe gets a couple more matches on 2.0 and then they get called up. Um, I I think they're they're ready to get called up. They're, the the main roster tag division needs some fresh you know some fresh faces and they'd be a nice fresh face. And I'm gonna tell you what, 
you know, Max Dupree is looking for some some nice models. I uh, pretty deadly fits pretty well with that. So I think you could call them up with them. Another guy I think would work, and you could keep him out the ring. I'm sure it'll make you happy. The Miz, I think, pretty deadly would work really well with the Miz. I mean, nobody wants to see him wrestle anyway, so he could talk for him. They can talk fine, but I mean, the Miz can still talk. He's still, you know, he can still do it on the mic. So I, I think those are two easy options that you could do for pretty deadly, and they would both bring life to any each uh, tag division because obviously the Usos have to lose eventually, but. That you need life in the tag division right now, and I think they would fit with Max Dupree's little agency, and I think they would fit with the Miz, kind of you know, and to keep everyone happy, like Hila and the Miz won't have to wrestle. Especially me, because you know what you read in my mind. Why would I want to see that man wrestle? Let him be the manager alongside Max Dupree. That would be a great idea, and Pretty Deadly would be a great part of this model agency and another person that I saw in up up down down recently is Mansoor this dude is so fucking funny and gorgeous he would be great if they let his personality shine as it does on up up down down on the regular plane Tekken 7 he can be a star in the model management agency very soon on Friday Night Smackdown I hope they go there because he definitely has it as well and I can tell you that dynamic along with Pretty Deadly and The Miz as a manager would actually be pretty damn fun See, there you go. I, I, I'm just trying. I'm trying to do my part and keep you know the Miz slander to a minimum, and just and just try to keep you know give good ideas. Be like, oh, you know, that's not bad for the Miz. But then I'm sure next week they're gonna have Miz in some 20 minute match against like Jinder Mahal or something. And everybody's like, oh my god, the Miz is wrestling again. Get him off my screen. You know, they don't do the Miz no favors either. No, but at least you're a realist knowing what his limitations are. And right now it's wrestling. It is what it is. The biggest limitation of all. <laughs> at least you admit it. Yeah, the, one, the one thing you need to be able to do is your biggest <laughs> limitation, but that's okay. I don't think he's that bad, but it is what it is. I get it. It's fine. You know, give him a tag team that he could talk for and, you know, he could do some six mans, come in, hit a couple moves. He was fine. And he, he does good in the tag matches. Like, you know, when he has a big tag match, he does fine. Both celebrity WrestleMania matches were fine. Yes, that's his role. Celebrity specialist, The Miz. That's what go. he does. Yes. Celebrity tag team specialist, Michael The Miz Mazanin, because it damn sure ain't a singles wrestler at this point. But I digress <laughs> on all of that. Yeah, one more shot, because it's what I do here on The Wrap as we move on to, unfortunately, the main event, which is Bond Breaker versus Joe Gacy for the NXT Championship. If Breaker gets disqualified, Gacy would not only win the championship, but he would rule the world like Pinky and the Brain. Oh my God. <laughs> he really said that shit on a live mic on multiple occasions and burnt up the sign in your house as if there was some kind of act of vandalism. Randy Orton says, bitch, I burned down the house. Call me about that. That's true arson. But this match was passable. Braun Breaker needs to get the hell away from Joe Gacy and the Druids as soon as possible. Joe Gacy tried to taunt Breaker at various points. Use a steel chair. I'm begging you. Use a steel chair to beat me. Hit me. DQ yourself. Let me win the championship. And Breaker resists temptation. He hits the Druids instead. And at one point, we have Joe Gacy do two blasphemous, two blasphemous things. Number one. He does the bootleg Bray Wyatt pose in the corner. The audacity the nerve 
Then he does the Eddie Guerrero tribute, pretending that he gets hit with a steel chair and Breaker tries to convince referee number one, I did not do this. I'm innocent. I am not guilty of this crime. And then referee number two comes out saying, he's telling the truth. Like referee number two, now you the go-to guy to see shit and say, hey, that did not happen. We need that more often on WWE television. So the match continues and Gacy continues to tempt Braun Breaker into cheating in order to lose his championship. And, And easily, the spot of this entire match in rivalry Joe Gacy goes to that handspring lariat and Braun Breaker spears his ass in a awesome counter hits a gorilla press slam to retain the next championship I was very happy with the finish it was the one redeemable quality in this feud because otherwise this shit sucked from beginning to end I want this done and over with I want Braun Breaker away from Joe Gacy and at this rate with all the injuries going on in WWE bring this man up to Raw Smackdown to help out these shows at this point and drop the championship to I don't know hmm Carmelo Hayes I'm going to keep this short because I don't want to spend a lot of time on Joe Gacy either. Um, the match exceeded my expectations, far exceeded my expectations. To be fair, I was expecting this to be absolutely awful with the story that they told, but it was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, this was, you know, they pretty much just did Cena versus Bray Wyatt from WrestleMania. Essentially, that's that's what this match was um, from him having the chair and Joe Gacy holding his arms out. And instead of that being the Wyatt family that he hit with the chair, that was his druids that he took it out on. It, it was all pretty much the same thing as Wyatt and John Cena. So if you want to see a better, bigger you know, much more well done version of that match, go see that at WrestleMania. And even that wasn't that great of a match. I will say they didn't they didn't go over over the top with the the dramatics and theatrics and Braun Breaker did fine. The spear was fantastic. The dive over the top was fantastic. Let's get Joe Gacy out of here. Like I said, I'd rather just have him smiling in the back of Edge's little crew. Just have him smiling in the back back there because then we don't have to hear him talking anymore. We get the druids off TV and Braun Breaker can move on because I do. It is getting about time. You bring that up. It's getting about time for Carmelo Hayes to be like, yo, I'm the A champion. I'm about to just be the champion. Like it's because it's getting close to that time for him to go and challenge for the belt. And why not just ha- and why not just double strap him, strap that man up? He deserves it at this point. He's one of the best things on this show outside of Braun Breaker and a few other people. Let's go at this point. It gets Braun to the main. It gets Braun to the main monster quicker, and it gets him the, the hell away from Joe Gacy, which makes me very happy. And I am still shooting down your idea that Joe Gacy should be a part of Judgment Day. I would still have to see him, despite the purple lighting of it all. Well, I'd rather see him than hear him. So I'll I'll look at that man doing that crazy looking smile all day long as I don't have to hear him cut no more monologues. I need Vecna to blind me so I don't have to see that shit, honestly. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. Hear no evil, see no evil. Oh, my goodness. I'm just saying, like, that's how bad this dude is. I cannot take him. I'd rather have that fate than see or hear Joe Gacy on my screen repping Judgment Day. And now... Oh, Scott, I hear you. I hear you. That nope, is- nope. We got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. 
I got nothing for I got nothing. Uh, you know what? Because you're right. I'm done with Mr. Gacy too. I, I was about to waste more breath on him, but you're right. I'm done with Mr. Gacy too. Let's let's lead, let's go on from talking about that hellish character to just talking about hell in a cell. That is a nice transition, and I didn't want you to help the Miz like you're trying to help Joe Gacy. They're they're not the same. They don't deserve the same level of help from you. One I hate less than the other. But now we are in hell in a cell going down live from the Allstate Arena in Chicago, Illinois. And for the record, between New Japan, AEW, and WWE, we've been back on the road for approximately 10 months. And Chicago has had 11 wrestling shows in this market in 10 months. And Chicago, in my humble opinion, is the hottest wrestling market in America. They're loyal. They're buying tickets. This show was sold out. It was a very fun electric show with a hot crowd. And I just think that Chicago never misses in terms of excitement. And thankfully, WWE gave the Chi-Town crowd a good show. I'm going to say this about WWE. When it comes to their premium live events, pay-per-views, whatever... The shows that just don't look like they're going to do anything, they always tend to over-deliver. And it definitely doesn't hurt when you have a hot, energetic crowd like Chicago was. Like, And, and WWE gave them a right to be like that, but they elevated a lot of this show. Like some of the matches that, you know, weren't, you know, weren't spectacular were better than what they were because the crowd was into them. Like, just for example, that handicap match was much better than it had any right to be, largely in part because the crowd elevated it and because of how over Lashley was with everyone. Just for an example. Yes, a very good example. And this show, as we'll get to eventually, will be remembered for the main event. One of the greatest Hell in a Cell matches I have ever seen due to sheer will alone from Cody Rhodes as we found out suffered a torn peck during a training session at the Nightmare Factory this past week. And I think this might have been one of the greatest performances I've ever seen by anybody in wrestling. And that is a lofty thing for me to say. I'll stand by that. Cody did the damn thing. And Seth Rollins, to really protect this man the best way he could, was also remarkable. I thought that the match was going to be great prior to the injury. My Lord, it exceeded every expectation considering how badly Cody was hurt. This, uh... I, I I'm not I won't be standing or ta- or listening to any more Cody slander at all. Like I don't know what you can say negative about this man who just went out there literally with his arm the the color of you know the the color of just purple just this purple the dark purple it's just crazy the bruising that he had and the swelling for him to go out there and put on that type of performance and to to wrestle a match like that wasn't that wasn't a smoke and mirrors type of match where he you know wasn't taking any bumps or anything like that he was taking bumps he was using the arm he was going into the cage he took a power bomb through a table that guy laid it all out there and he didn't have to and people and everyone would have understood if he went out there and had a, a five minute you know sprint to the finish 
But that dude, they went out there and did a 25-minute match. And, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that Seth Rollins, a guy who catches a lot of flack for his in-ring work. You know, people will call him, be quick to call him unsafe. But this dude protected Cody Rhodes. Like, it, you know, Cody had, a, had to have a lot of faith and trust in Seth Rollins to go out there injured like he was. And Rollins, knowing the type of performer he was, went out and delivered a masterclass. That was excellent. Um, I, I don't think there's much more you could ask, not only out of your main event, but now I think fully established out of your top babyface on the roster. You know, and he, Drew McIntyre is a great babyface, but I, he just got bumped down. Cody Rhodes, man, when he does come back, and I hope they, you know, now is a good time to keep him off TV, build that anticipation. I'm a big component of keeping people off TV, you know, especially if they're not like going straight for a title or they're in the middle of a story and they just came off a big win. I am a big component of just keeping guys off TV and keeping them fresh, keeping the them showing up meaning something. There's a reason that when Roman Reigns wrestles or shows up on TV, it's like, oh, snap, Roman's here. You know, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? There's a reason why Brock Lesnar's appearances feel important, feel special in WWE. It's because they're not there every week. Like, that's something WWE's got to get back to and, and it being okay for guys to not be there every week. And I, I would love for Cody Rhodes just to not be on TV for a little while. Build some anticipation, man. Play the long game a little bit. Instead of playing this week-to-week game, build anticipation. I, I, I think you leave Cody off, you, bring, you build him for whenever he comes back, and you build him up as this top-tier babyface, and then he goes after the title just like that. But um, great, ma- great match, great main event, and uh, really good end to a good weekend for WWE. Yes, we'll dive into that shortly. And when Cody returns, he's totally getting that 2002 Triple H MSG pop, without a doubt. Exactly. And that's why you build that anticipation, because the sympathy he just that he just built up throughout this match and winning the match and the goodwill that he has undoubtedly and unquestionably had to have earned from everyone Man, that groundswell when he does come back, and it better be anticipated or just at a big show, but that groundswell, it's going to be incredible. That that reaction is going to be incredible when he comes back. Yes, we'll get to the main event in its entirety shortly as we kick things off with a fantastic triple threat match for the Raw Women's Championship featuring the champion herself, Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, and Asuka. And these ladies tore down the house to kick off the show. One demerit to whatever was on Becky Lynch's head. That intergalactic fascinator is a boot. Throw it away, Becky. Otherwise, you looked great. I don't know, Keela. I think there is uh I think there's potential for people to start wearing those hats. You never know what people might buy. If that's not at least out there in the stands, hey, come buy a Becky Lynch hat. Why don't you, why don't you take a take a photo with this Becky Lynch hat? I'm sure the problem's gonna be it's gonna be like fifty bucks instead of just being a ten dollar hat, but come buy this Becky Lynch hat. I know. You definitely gotta you gotta sell that. If people are buying Lily dolls, there's an opportunity to buy a Becky Lynch hat. Listen, if that hat's going to protect me from like asteroid rocks, great. Otherwise, I don't want it. It's awful. 
destroyed rocks. <laughs> um, so I, I before you know we really dive into, it, I have one just, just kind of major. Actually, it's kind of a big deal. Like Beck Bianca versus Oscar is a pay per view quality match, and I know they just had the match, but you know we had the DQ finish and whatnot. Why would you pin Oscar right here? What what sense? Does that make she's still getting great reactions? People are still excited about her. Why would you pin her right here when a loss to Becky Lynch does nothing, does not hurt her, and plays into the story of her having to weasel her way in, and then she's the one who takes the loss? That fits the story. Because then it's like, now we finally get to that Asuka Bianca Belair match that people wanted. You've been trying to make money in the bank, a bigger match than what, you know, what a bigger pay-per-view than what it used to be. That's a big time match. If you don't pin Oscar, Bianca Belair just pinned Oscar right here. Why would I want to see that match again? It just, the, the, the decision-making for that just, it just, it doesn't add up when you, that should be a match you're building to. You know, we should, again, this is WWE building from matches instead of building two matches. Yes, that was very frustrating to see Asuka lose again. It's 50-50 booking at its worst. And I guess they think that a rematch to a rematch to a rematch is better than Asuka versus Bianca Belair. That could be a great match at Money in the Bank or SummerSlam. But yet again, it's back to... Becky and Bianca part three, and I'm not mad at it, but Asuka was clearly over last night with, with the Chicago crowd and just go with the singles match. See where it goes. Is she going to lose? Most likely, but protect her along the way. And there was no protection from her via this match last night. Well, and, and it's, it, I guess the thing for me is you have, you have women that you can be doing stuff with but WWE, and I've, I've talked about this on this show multiple times, they have an issue when it comes to women having feuds that don't involve the title. You know, it, we talk about WWE doing this for women and, and, and you know, doing more and doing better for women's wrestling and, and giving them more opportunities. But all those opportunities all involve the title. They all have to involve a title of some of some sort. There are rarely feuds that don't involve a title. And that's where the problem comes in. You know, what's Alexa Bliss doing? What's she working on right now? You know, what, what, what's she got going on that she is not trying to work her way up to the title? That's a story. That's an easy story that she can tell on her own. You know, that she can tell on her own. Dewdrop. Why isn't she trying to work her way up to the title with Nikki Ash by her side? And then you kind of just play that dynamic up. Like, or why aren't they like, what, what are, where are the tag titles at? We'll go for those. I, you know, like, you can be doing things to have women ready so that way you don't have to just keep. Asuka just lost, just lost on Raw. Like she now she's lost two weeks in a row. I don't what what reason does she have to be in the main event picture going forward when she should be the main event for Bianca Belair going forward? It's just simple things that they could be doing. They're just not they just don't care. That's just that's just what it boils down to. They just don't care. 
They don't. It's just lazy booking by WWE, and they really don't see the long game in a lot of ways. You bring back Asuka, and the initial match would have been Asuka versus Becky Lynch, something you could have did at WrestleMania Backlash last month. And as you keep mentioning, Alexa Bliss is right there. That would be the perfect setup feud for Becky Lynch in the meantime, in between time. Two people that can talk, two people that can work, that can really carry a standalone feud while Bianca feuds with Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship. How simple is that? But they make things so damn difficult. But we're not going to take away from the greatness of this match. But WWE booking is such a choice. And most of the time, it's not a good one when it comes to protecting those who you're bringing back from injury over eight months ago. And then, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to the match because you're absolutely right. This was an excellent, excellent opening triple threat match. Just a, a great Great match. And, you know, it's a shame that all I'm talking about is the finish and how they've pinned Asuka two times in the last week. That's a shame that that's what I'm talking about. But the match was excellent. I thought this was one of Becky Lynch's best matches since she's, you know, during her last her heel run, probably the last year. Like, I think this is one of her better individually performances um, that she's had. I thought Asuka looked great. Some of the near falls are fantastic. Bianca Belair. What what more can I say about this woman? She is absolutely incredible. There's nothing in the ring that she can't do. She should be a face of the company. I, I'm I'm just throwing that out there. She should be somebody you're building the brand around. She is incredible. Incredible. She's the best. She was so over last night and she put on a show. The jogging vertical suplex to Becky Lynch was fantastic. The double team spots were great. Becky Lynch trying to steal the cover. Every chance she got was great. And it played into the finish of Becky selling one too many covers and she paid for it in the end. And Asuka and the striking, the spinning back fist to Becky Lynch with rapid precision. My God, she was on fire last night. Boy, let me tell you, Oscar hit Becky Lynch with a two-piece and a biscuit, and she made sure to put some butter on that biscuit, too. God dang, that combo was nasty. That's, that's the Oscar that people fell in love with in NXT that was just wrecking people. That was literally just running through people, throwing blows, and throwing hands. That's that Oscar, And she got the crowd fired. If you mentioned that combo... When she landed that third back elbow fist or that uh, back spinning back fist, the crowd was like, okay, here we go. Like that's, that's the Oscar right there, man. And that's why you don't pin her. That's why it doesn't make sense to pin her. The crowd is still with her and ready. When Oscar and Bianca, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, when they had their face, their face off at the beginning of the match, that should have been, the telltale right there. People want to see this. Don't give this away. Why? It, it's just it, the, the finish doesn't make sense. And it just puts a bad taste in my mouth on what was an excellent way to open this show. It really was. Set the tone perfectly for the evening. And all three ladies were over. And they put in that work. And they clicked so well together. And Bianca Belair... I cannot say enough about her. She's so great. A dynamic women's champion. She never misses. And Asuka last night proved why she's one of my faves ever. And Becky Lynch, big time Bex for a reason. She always shows up big. And she's improved since her return last year in so many ways. And I thought this was a great 
match, perfectly laid out. I hate the finish, obviously, but clever by Bianca Belair to say, hey, Becky, you try to steal cover after cover. I'm stealing this victory from you. And that will eventually play into Bianca and Becky part three and or four heading into Money in the Bank or SummerSlam sometime in July. I don't even think we get that. I still think we get Bianca and Asuka at Money in the Bank. It just, it takes a little away that she's already been beaten twice in the last week. I I still think that's where we're going, though, at Money in the Bank. It's possible. We'll see how the TV plays out in the next couple of weeks. I hope we go there because I do want to see that singles match because it has a potential to be great with no time constraints on them in terms of not being on TV on USA and having that time on Peacock to really do their thing. But what a great opener to last night's show. And the Chi-Town crowd was hot for every moment of it. As we transition to a two-on-one handicap match featuring Bobby Lashley versus Omos and MVP and MVP's rap. The diss track to Bobby Lashley was every fucking thing. Why was this not on Monday Night Raw this past week? Yeah, Fall Mighty was dope. Um, let me tell you, boy. I mean, let me find out MVP got them bars. The boy, I didn't see that coming. Like this is that was a solid little diss track. And you want to know why it didn't show on Monday Night Raw? That's because Vince McMahon was like, "What is this? What, a diss track? What is that? What am I supposed to do with a diss track?" So that's why that didn't work. But yeah, the the, the rap was 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 pretty good. I didn't know MVP was a decent rapper. Yes, he had bars for days, and I loved it. I greatly appreciated that rap from MVP. And speaking of MVP, and speaking of MVPs, the crowd was the MVP of this match because I had no idea that Roberto Lashley, full government name, gotta go there, was over in Chi Town. He was over in Chicago. The people loved Bobby. That made me very happy to know they see the greatness we do on a regular. And I thought he looked great in this match. He had to obviously put in work against Omos, which is not easy to do, but somehow he did so. And of course, took a beating from Omos and MVP at various points. He fought back and actually got an assist from Cedric Alexander, who was dissed by MVP before this matchup. He came through, got choked out by Omos, and that allows Bobby Bobby to spear Omos and get him out of there and lock in the Hurt Lock and MVP to get the win. And the fans absolutely loved Bobby Lashley. I love the part when he got out of the ring, went to ringside, grabbed a replica WWE championship belt and says, I got next on one of these titles against Roman Reigns. I love that energy. But the crowd elevated this match and made Bobby Lashley feel like a star star in the best possible way. And I love that for him because we know how great he can be when he's not around the Omos of it all. And I like Omos well enough, but Bobby is that guy that can contend for the Universal Championship against Roman Reigns at any pay-per-view stadium or arena. He's over. You saw that last night in Chicago. I was very pleasantly surprised by that because you would think with the build-up to this match, the fans might not care as much, but they cared about Bobby in the best possible way. And I love that for him last night. Yeah, this was what this was what it was supposed to be. This was a way to get Bobby, you know, to make him the monster that he was. I talked about this at the beginning of the the show. The crowd really elevated this matchup in particular, I thought, because there wasn't a lot to this matchup. But what they did do, the crowd reacted for when Bobby made his comeback, the crowd reacted when Bobby locked in that hurt lock. 
the crowd reacted. They were ready for MVP to tap out. They were with Bobby Lashley. They did a good. Uh, this is a big win for Bobby, who now beats Omos and MVP um, again. I know they probably had to change plans because of the Cody injury. Bobby should have never took that loss to Omos at WrestleMania Backlash. That should have been Bobby Lashley versus MVP. Bobby Lashley beats MVP. Now we get the handicap match, which you could have built to the same way. Bobby Lashley doesn't take any losses. Omos doesn't have to get pinned again. You know, now you still have... Bobby Lashley, now he's winning three matches instead of going two and one, and we're still doing this 50-50 booking type thing. So, again, there, there's just so many ways that they could get to the same destination, you know, instead of flying, you know, going all the way around to come back to where they're going. I just, I wish they would just do less and get more out of it, because they certainly could. They just do the most and don't get the most out of it. That's WWE. They leave a lot of stuff on the table and they did so again here. But hey, at least the match delivered in the end. And the WrestleMania backlash loss, I'm with you. I can't forgive that shit. When Bobby won at WrestleMania, why are we trading 50-50 back and forth with Omos? Just know, let Bobby have the momentum, move on to something else, as he will now be reasserted as probably the number two babyface on Monday Night Raw after Cody will be indefinitely out of action due to that torn pectoral muscle. And, you know, I think Bobby Lash is a good a good fit for that. Um I think we were both talking about it after WrestleMania. He would have been a good pick to go after Roman right after anyway. So I think this works good. Omos is a guy that, like, he's a guy that you can build up very quickly as far as getting his wins back. And it's not like anybody's beating him. It's Bobby Lashley, the guy who just beat Brock Lesnar, you know, six months ago. So it's not like it's some random guy that's beating Omos. It's just Lashley. He can bounce back very easily, very quickly. Indeed. And we're better off for it at the end of the day. And I'm glad that Bobby got the love last night in Chicago. And that should lead to bigger and better things as we reshuffle the deck somehow, some way with all the stuff coming in with injuries in WWE as of late. As we move on to Ezekiel, not Elias versus Kevin Owens. And we would think that this would be the night when the Ezekiel mystery would be solved. And it was not solved at all. This match was here, you know, Kevin Owens is doing the best he can, just being great, and, you know, the match was fine. The crowd, again, (laughs) way more energy for this match than I thought they would have. I mean, they weren't going ballistic for it, but just way more energy. And Kevin Owens had a lot to do with that as far as keeping the crowd engaged, playing to them. Ezekiel was fine. He's fine. But let's get Kevin Owens away from it. Let's let's go let's go ahead and shift Kevin Owens into a more prominent role with his buddy Sami Zayn and let's just start having him interact with the bloodline. Let's just have him interact with the main event and keep him in the main event where he should be and get him away from Ezekiel. Let's let's have Ezekiel go go mess with Veer. How about let's, let's let's do that for a little bit. Veer needs some fresh meat, and I think Ezekiel is perfect for that. 
Yes, why not at this point? I want Kevin Owens on SmackDown stirring up trouble alongside Sami Zayn as they eventually vie for the undisputed tag team titles. That's my storyline of the summer WWE. Please go there. As for Ezekiel, it's very weird to me in that he is a better wrestler than Elias, but Elias is a better personality than Ezekiel because Ezekiel is giving me, um, how can I say this politely? He's giving me... Create a wrestler, Macho Man, Bootleg, Savage from 2K22. It's like Macho Man, but not really Macho Man. It's a very generic character, and he's okay. If he had the Elias gimmick attached to Ezekiel's in-ring skills, he would be actually a pretty good performer. But without that, my God, he's generic as hell. And a beard is sorely missed on his face, because without it, generic as hell. Let's just get Kevin Owens away from it. That'll make everyone happy. And like I said, Ezekiel, him and him and Veer would have a, a great little month feud on, on Raw. You know, I think they'll be great for each other. I don't know if it's going to be great. Maybe for you to see him get mauled every week for me. Ooh. It could be fun, but it's Ezekiel. He's not going to elicit a lot of sympathy out of me right now, unfortunately. I don't need him to get sympathy. I just want to see him take that million dollar uh, lariat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you sicko. Just to see him suffer for a month. Hey, it'll get Veer away from the Mysterios. That's definitely a step in the right direction as well. So let's kill two birds with one stone, shall we? As we move on to Judgment Day. Edge, Rhea Ripley, and Damian Priest versus Finn Balor, AJ Styles, and Liv Morgan. And I thought this was a very good six-person mixed tag team match. And Rhea Ripley was wearing some Jamie Hayter shorts last night. And come to find out, Rhea lost her gear, and she had to come up with this at the very last minute. And dare I say, please keep this aesthetic moving forward. It's funny you say that, Keila, because I was actually thinking the exact opposite thing. And I was like, yo, what do you have on Rhea? Like the purple was just out there. It was just, I was just like, what exactly is going on with that? But I understand it a little bit more now because she doesn't, she lost her in-ring gear. I was like, this isn't Rhea. Like, is this your old May Young classic gear that you just spray painted purple? Like, what is this? Where's the chains? Where's the rips? Where? you know where's the the death metal look that you normally have going on now you just look like a generic wrestler you you mentioned the generic wrestler now you look like a creator wrestler who wants to be dark now you look like you went emo and (laughs) you know um besides all that though the match was fine this was probably the first match where i kind of was like all right Liv morgan i i'm starting to get it i'm starting to understand what what it is i don't know if it was had to do with rhea ripley and them just having a good chemistry but this was a, a match where i kind of started to get behind the rhea the the live morgan train i like the fact that rhea ripley was you know one of the main cogs as far as stopping a lot of the big moves i she stopped finn balor a couple times she stopped aj styles i like that and because she's believable 
Like, it's believable if AJ Styles would have went for that forearm, she would have caught him with one arm and choke slammed him down. That's very believable to me. You know, it's believable that if Finn would have went for the stomp, she would have caught him, powerbombed him, picked him back up, and threw him back down with a powerbomb. Like, I believe Rhea Ripley could do all that. So I like that aspect, and I think it just adds to the picture of them having Edge, who's 6'5", and Damian Priest, who's 6'5", these big dudes having this beast in Rhea Ripley. Um, The match was really good. The crowd, again... Excellent crowd elevates a, you know, just a somewhat average match to a a really good match. And the crowd was a big part of that. Yes. And AJ Styles bled heavily from his forehead towards the end of this match. He got busted open and he got sent into the turnbuckle by Edge, I believe. And that was an early bump he took. He was already bleeding from there. You saw blood all over the floor towards the end of this match. But I love the energy that Liv offered as well, as you mentioned. I thought this is one of her better performances as she dropped Rhea with a beautiful crucifix bomb for a very close near fall. And Rhea and her work really well together. I love how they mix the power and the agility into one nice package to deliver the goods in this match. And Finn Balor ultimately suffered the sad fate of Rhea Ripley stopping traffic and he gets drilled with a spear by Edge as Edge and Judgment Day collect the win for the crew and it's a big statement victory for Judgment Day. I love the aesthetic. I love the entrance for all three. The music all to bridge will forever get a royalty check from WWE but I still ask that the promo work from this crew improves because the look and the performances are down packed, but the delivery of their message still needs a bit more work around the edges for me to truly buy into this faction as a whole. Yeah. And I do want to touch on the entrance. The entrance was excellent. The entrance was spectacular and excellent. And the crowd reacted appropriately. When they saw Rhea first, they popped. When they saw Damien, they got louder. When Edge came out, like they they feel like a big deal. So mission accomplished with that. They do feel like a big deal and they do feel dangerous, which is not something that you can really say for a lot of WWE factions. And a lot of that has to do with the crowd's reaction. So WWE owes a big shout out to that Chicago crowd for making these things feel bigger. Yeah, and I got to give WWE credit, too. You put it out there, the fans ate into it, and it turned into a really fun match in the end. And Chicago comes through by elevating another match via the crowd reactions. And it was nice to see everybody being over, especially the ladies and Liv having her day. You see what she has in terms of being a true star. And hopefully, heading into next month's Man, heading into next month's Money in the Bank pay-per-view, dare I say she should win the damn thing, hold the briefcase for a bit, heading into next year's WrestleMania I think she needs a big win like that to really solidify this push. I, I don't, she don't even need, I don't know if she needs that. Like, I, I just think you just have her show or have her or edge confront them and be like, Hey, we, you know, we got some bad news for you. And, and that's, I mean, that's, that's really all you would need to do. And I, I think the match sells itself. I say that's a possibility as well. I just want more for live. I don't hater. You play your hater. <laughs> yeah, I, I just give me, just give me Rhea. I, I, I don't want anything else for Liv. She can just be the baby face that gets beat up on. Give me, give me Rhea. Give me Rhea, and then her just showing up. Just, just give me that. But if they are gonna do it, Liv has to beat somebody in singles competition first. The briefcase would definitely help, but she still needs that big singles win to solidify her as well. True, and I would not accept any more Liv slander on this show. <laughs> I, 
it's barred from the show. Just kidding. But yeah, I just want more filet. I love Rhea too, but in terms of having that plucky baby face moment, why not? Because we had it with Nikki Ash last year and that worked out terribly. As we move on to Matt Cat Moss versus Happy Corbin and a no hose barred match. The only SmackDown match on this card as this was basically a raw exclusive pay-per-view in 2022. And Pat McAfee was like, listen, we got one match wrapping SmackDown. I am not wasting jet fuel in this economy. So I'm staying at home in Indianapolis, Indiana. So Michael Cole, you and Corey Graves call this match because I'll be seeing it and tweeting about it from the crib. (laughs) Man, let me tell you. Pat said, y'all got what? Y'all got me out here for one match? Nah, won't won't be me. (laughs) Won't be me this week. Won't be working this Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I mean, why even put this match on the card? Why just should have just made this a raw exclusive PLE, you know? Why, Why even have SmackDown on the card at all? They just... Uh, Riddle versus Sami Zayn would have would have been a fine match to put here, and then you could just keep it all raw. That would have made more sense. But, you know, I got to say that once again, Chicago came through with a pretty good reaction for this match. Now, they wanted tables desperately during this match. And knowing WWE and Hell in a Cell matches, if you're going to use a table, you're not going to book two table spots twice on the same show. That makes no sense. So the fans were not promised tables in this match. Happy Corbin was a great heel teasing a table spot, and he refused every single time. And the fans called him an asshole for not giving them what they wanted. But the story of this match was still chairs and not tables. The story of this match was still chairs and still steps and not tables. And Madcap had to let them know, listen, I don't want no damn table. I want a steel chair. I want the steel steps. And they came through in the end and delivered a pretty entertaining match that the crowd bought into in the end. And thankfully, Madcap, despite having the same lame ass name, Madcap Moss, he did change his gear. The suspenders and short shorts are gone. We got black trunks, black boots, black knee pads. It's much better. And he looks like a star. There's a waist to go but as I mentioned dating back to last year's WWE draft I feel Madcap has the potential to be a true big hoss on Smackdown and he proved that via this performance when he pilmanized Corbin's neck to get the win and last checked by WWE.com Corbin was admitted to a local medical facility for a minor neck contusion but has since been released from said hospital or shall I say medical facility in Chicago somewhere in the outskirts of town. But all in all, I thought this match exceeded expectations and both guys overcame the dreaded we want tables chant and fuck you both for not giving it to us. Well, that's one thing I don't like about this match is you don't, I don't think it was, I don't think one thing is you don't tease the table spot unless you're going to deliver on it. So if you're going to have the heel tease and play the crowd you know saying hey here's a table nah i'm not giving you the table you idiots if you're gonna do that the baby face has got to pull the table out like it's just that's just what the baby face would do i'm gonna give you what you want he didn't want it i'm gonna give you the table then like that's what the baby face does and that would that fits right into the story why wouldn't he want to just throw baron corbin through a table you know, why wouldn't he just want to toss Baron Corbin through a table in the corner? He could still do all that other stuff. So I I didn't like that, especially if you're not going to have Madcap continue building his babyface uh, rapport by 
getting the table that Baron Corbin denied everyone. So I didn't like that. Madcap Mad Moss, um, we can get rid of the Madcap part whenever they want. I'm sure he's just going to be called Moss here soon. Um, he he has a great look, man. Like that guy is is shredded. He's ripped. I thought he had great fire. He the black trunks, the basic black trunks are a good look for him until he really figures out what his kind of gimmick and and thing is going to be going forward. I wouldn't have a problem with him if he just starts killing people, just starts mowing down guys until he figures out what he's going to do. Give me a couple madcap squash matches. You can you have something here. This is a guy you take your time with and you build him up. The way you you have the blueprint, Ryback, Braun Strowman, guys like that, you have the blueprint of how to build guys up through squash matches. Omos, do it right here with Madcap. You have an opportunity to build up another guy that you can have on your team. This is an opportunity. Take advantage of it, but take your time. Give me squash matches for about a month of him just mowing down people. Yes, and for the record, even though I appreciate the examples, all the men that Scott named, Matt Cap is better than all of them. I just want to confirm that for the record. I don't want the right back push from 2012. Kill that with fire. Kill it dead. I say kill it dead now. I, 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 Braun was a, I don't know if he's better than Braun. I, I thought Braun was, I thought Braun when he really got going was solid, especially for a big man. I thought Braun was solid. He had a couple matches with Big Show that I, I enjoyed on Raw. So I don't know if he's better than Braun. He's definitely better than Ryback. No question about that. And the fact that they were able to get that guy over with squash matches goes to my point in that they have the blueprint and know exactly what to do with Moss. Now I'm going to do one amendment. I'm be fair. I'm going to amend that Braun Strowman was good from the moment he jacked up Roman Reigns in 2017 <laughs> until that steel cage match against Big Show on Monday Night Raw. When he could not do shit with Brock Lesnar at that pay-per-view, No Mercy 2017, I was done with Braun in terms of a push. He was done for. When Brock can't bring out the best in you, there is no hope for you, honestly. So I got a time stamp, 2017, the end of Braun Strowman's main event, of Braun Strowman's main event push. From this point forward, Matt Cap is better than Braun Strowman. <laughs> That's because Matt Cap ain't actually been punched in the face by Brock Lesnar like Braun was <laughs> at the Royal Rumble. So let's see how Matt Cap reacts to getting jacked in the face, too. He'll probably take it well. He's like a big haul. I he think might. he can take the punch. He, he can take the punch. I believe it. And uh, once again, Red Lobster for him as well. He was on Raw Underground, so we know he's a real fighter, right? You know, right, Shane McMahon? <laughs> oh, my God. I remember that. Oh, my God. He was a shooter at one point. Damn it. Yeah, he was a shooter. Hey, look, and that, like, that would, that, that actually, I was interested in Riddick as the shooter, and then they decided to make him a jokester. Like, you know, maybe Shane McMahon was on to something. Just, yes. You know, he just wasn't on to it with the strippers he was pulling from <laughs> 2 o'clock, in, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon from the local strip, you know, strip club up the street. And they got laid off a week later. I missed them. Even though they had no rhythm, they were entertaining. I missed them. I <laughs> they needed work too during these pandemic times, damn it. The strip clubs were closed and more underground was open. 
So hell, they needed work. So I missed them. And I miss parts of Raw Underground. Those are the days, y'all, during Pandemic Times 2020. And Riddick Moss, known shooter, was putting in that work between the hours of 1030 and 11 every Monday night for four weeks with Omos watching the door. Oh, man. Good times. Yes. So I'm all for Matt Cap getting the Wardlow push. Kill people for about a month or two. And let's see where it goes. And I would love to see him put in work at Money in the Bank as well in one of those latter matches. I want to see him be a player on SmackDown because Laura knows we need some stars on that show on Friday nights. Yeah, I, I think that would be a good a good way to kind of showcase him. But then, I, you know... I, then I'm torn on it. Like, I think if you ha- if he's going to continue getting good reactions like this in singles matches, maybe it'd be better for him to get a win. You know, especially if he's not going to win Money in the Bank. But then again, maybe you maybe you do put a little mini strap on him. Maybe you do let him win Money in the Bank and keep it for a full year. You know, and let him just build himself up because he's already going to have a you know a little extra juice carrying that. So. There's a lot of things you can do, and I think these next few weeks are going to be very important as far as what they do with him and the trajectory he's going to take. Indeed. That's, this will be a big test for him, and I think he'll pass. It just depends on WWE's confidence in him because I think he has what it takes to be a star if they let him cook on Friday nights. As we move on to the semi-main event, it's Mr. Farley, Chicago's own versus Austin Theory, or shall I say Theory, for the WWE United States Championship, and this match was poorly built on Monday Night Raw over the past few weeks. And the only saving grace is the fact that Ali resides and reps Chicago, Illinois, because Chicago was mostly in his corner. But even they realized, my God, this is shit booking, even for a hometown guy. The match was good. You know, Austin Theory and Mustafa Ali are both really good workers. I love Theory's, um, you know, kind of springboard, sit-down Spanish fly that he does from the top rope. I think that's a thing of beauty. The crowd really didn't do much. At the beginning, they hit Ali had a big Ali chant. Middle of the match, they weren't, you know, they kind of got quiet at points. But the end, they came alive for when Ali went for the 450, crashed and burned. Theory hits the big, um, you know, his finisher for the win. This match was fine. This was exactly what it was supposed to be. I know people are going to be like, oh, my God, they killed Ali in his hometown. You know, how could they do? This is what this match was supposed to be. Like, this is exactly what it was supposed to be for Austin Theory. A good win for him on pay-per-view. This, it was nothing more. This is exactly what it was supposed to be. A way for him to get more heat. I think they could genuinely be building towards an Austin Theory-John Cena match at, at SummerSlam. And if you do that, he needs to get wins like this. So, I think this is the right decision, and I am all for theory continuing this strong push. I'm here for it, too. But when John Cena returns, his 20th anniversary is coming up at the end of this month. If it's going down, I'm going to pray for Austin Theory right now because John Cena is going to smoke an entire theory pack on his ass. There's nothing you can do to stop John Cena from absolutely destroying you on the mic, ethering you to parts unknown. This might be the most lopsided mismatch in terms of John Cena absolutely destroying somebody on the mic. I feel for Austin Theory. I truly do. This will not be pretty. Yeah, Austin Theory is definitely going to get a kill shot track, but, you know, it is what it is. He's just gonna have to. He, you just gonna have to eat it and put on a great match at SummerSlam because, like you said, there's literally nothing you can do. Everyone that John Cena goes against catches an ether, a kill shot. You know, you're 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 getting bodied. 
at least for a couple weeks, John Cena is just going to body you and you're just going to have to take it. You're just going to have to smile as the crowd says, oh, you know, and they're pretty much telling you that you suck that night and you just got to take it. I'm going to pray for him because it's not going to be pretty. This might be worse than what Cena did to The Rock like 11 years ago because he kind of ethered him to crib notes. I don't know if it's going to be that bad, but it's going to be bad. I'm excited for it. Me too. I, I like to see people getting cooked who can't talk on the mic yet. And theory, oh boy, selfies are not going to save you from the burial that Johnson is going to deliver to you on the mic because it is going to be ugly in the best possible way. As we now move on to the main event of last night's show, it is Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins inside Hell in a Cell. We talked about this match loosely earlier prior to our official review of this matchup. And beforehand, I thought this was going to be a spectacular match, but it upped itself due to Cody's injury. And he cut a promo after the show that is circulating online right now that he made the decision to work with a torn peck that is torn off the bone. And when he revealed the full extent of his injury, the bruising, the purple, the red blending into one, that was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. I knew something was up, but he couldn't do the full arm raise for his pyro. He was hurting then, but when you take off that robe and you see the discoloration on his skin, he might have said, I can't bleed externally, but damn, you're going to see it internally. Good Lord Almighty. Yeah, this, um, you know, once you saw the bruising and you kind of saw how he was coming out and even when he did his, whoa, he only threw up the one arm and that was, you know, you knew what was coming. But even when you he took the jacket off, you didn't really know the severity until you saw it, man. And we touched on that earlier. And this match was a, this guy literally went out there and had a match with one arm. When you really think about it, he had a match with one arm and regardless of whether he was drugged up full of adrenaline, he went out there and had a match with one arm. Shout out to Seth Rollins, man, who was able to do his part and make sure that Cody was protected, was safe. The, the shots that he took, most of those, you could tell a lot of that was landing on his left side first before it would catch his right arm to, you know, kind of minimize the impact. But Cody still had to take a, the brunt of that, man. Um, like I said, no more Cody slander. It won't be, won't be standing for it. won't take it. Any reparations that he wants, he has earned for him and his wife. Uh, whenever she wants to have her open mic night, Cody has earned that for her. He has earned that reparation for Brandy whenever she wants to come out and just have open mic night. So, again, this match was excellent. Uh, and I think he earned a lot of people a lot more respect than what he has from a lot of people. And I think, we, like we talked about, whenever he does come back, and, and you know, because he's got to take time off, but whenever he does come back, that, that reaction he's going to get is going to be incredible. It really is. And we have to talk about Seth Rollins, who was the perfect troll once again. This dude had the audacity to wear polka dots to taunt Cody. This troll is spectacular. From the shield theme and the fit at the Royal Rumble to this last night in Chicago, Seth Rollins is one of the best damn trolls in professional wrestling today. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. Seth Rollins is one of the best 
professional wrestlers in the world today. People don't want to say it. People don't like to say it because they don't they don't like Seth Rollins. They think you know they they think he's too much of a company guy. And it's almost like how can you say somebody from WWE is one of the best wrestlers in the world? Well, you watch a match like this tonight, and that shows you why he's one of the best in the world. He has delivered. Every time he's had a big match. He's had, what, two Hell in a Cell matches in the last year? Both have been bangers. One, one had one guy with one arm, and the other had a guy who's, 40, who's 50 years old. Seth Rollins is that guy. Say what you want. He is that guy and deserves all the flowers that he gets, um, regardless of how you feel about him being a company guy or any of that. He proves his worth Every time he steps between those ropes, especially when it's big match time. Seth Rollins is that dude, man. Yes. And shout out to Corey Graves as well on commentary. He did one of his best calls last night and it came from a real place of emotion. Shout out to him and Seth Rollins otherworldly that's my word for him Corey used that word last night at the end of this match otherworldly is the way to describe it because they basically delivered the match they was going to give you prior to this injury but the injury added so much more drama and we had Cody taking bumps on that bat pack against the Hell in a Cell structure itself we got Seth busting out a polka dot belt to whip Cody with repeatedly and I love the downtime to give Cody moments to breathe in between all of the pain he was going through then we get cowbell we get cowbell in the match you gotta love it we got a bull rope in the match we got bells attached to it and we got Cody telling Seth you wrap this goddamn rope around your wrist we're fighting right now and they're going back and forth it's a battle we got table spots Seth goes through a table by missing the splash Cody gets powerbombed through a table for a very close near fall and the action is just getting crazier and crazier and the fans at first when they first saw the bruising they were like oh god they were silent it was hushed inside that building they did not know what to do because it was very uncomfortable watching this match but due to both men putting in that work this became one of the greatest Hell in a Cell matches I've ever seen Cody might have delivered one of the greatest performances in WWE history and the chemistry I say it again the chemistry between Cody and Seth is special I don't know what it is but for whatever reason they bring out the best in each other injured or not this was a masterpiece in professional wrestling and after all of the teasing dating back to AEW Cody hits a goddamn pedigree in this match with a torn peck that was poetic yeah and uh well I think part of that was he wasn't able to lift him up for a tiger driver anyway with uh with that torn peg, there's no way he was holding him up for that. So that made sense for him to hit the pedigree. Um, and I also, I, I kind of wish he would have hit the pedigree and then went right into the sledgehammer shot. I think that would have just been a nice little sh- tie-in right there. But everything else, I mean, it was fine for what it was. Again, great match, man. Cody really, really gutted it through. Um, we got a strap match in the middle of it. We got the cowbell, uh, you know, tribute to Dusty right there. It was fitting for him to smack Seth Rollins with it for him wearing the outfit to begin with. Just just an excellent match, man. Cody is is a masterclass when it comes to kind of psychology and breaking stuff down and 
it was just a really good job of keeping the energy there. And the crowd kind of thought, you know, I think there was a shift kind of like maybe Seth Rollins is going to win this because Cody's going to be out for a little bit. So good job there. Great way to end the show and, and really good way to end the weekend. Yes. And one more note about the finish of this match. We had Cody hit Seth with the sledgehammer and the dueling crossroads from Seth and Cody were outstanding, popping the crowd even more. Cody hits one more for the win on top of the sledgehammer shot to the head. That was a great finisher. And I'd be remiss not mentioning the curb stomp near finishes as well to Cody. The near falls had this crowd going. And so did I, because I thought to myself, if Cody's hurt, maybe Seth wins outright. But no, Cody sweeps the series and they had an epic Hell in a Cell match to wrap up this show. And Cody delivered a performance of a lifetime. I will say, outside of what he did against Dustin, at Double or Nothing three years ago, this might have been his signature performance ever. And that is saying a lot. And Seth Rollins is his dream opponent. They just click in every way. You don't fake chemistry like that. It's got to be built from a real place. And you know the relationship that Seth had with Dusty. It's real close. And Cody had a real, a real life animosity towards that because Dusty had NXT kids there that he loved and they were Dusty kids and Cody had a deep resentment for that for a very long time and to deliver a match against one of Dusty's NXT kids not once not twice but three times and you're injured that was just special shit from Cody and Seth last night in Chicago. Yeah, what more can you say? That's the cherry on top. Just a a great match and a a fitting into the trilogy. Yes, and now it's time to grade the show. So, Scott, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your grade for the 2022 edition of Hell in a Cell? I'm going to give it a B plus. I think there was a couple things holding it back from an A, but the opening triple threat, the closing main events with Cody Rhodes and uh, Seth Rollins are both just excellent, excellent matches. I thought Matt Cap looked really good. The Mustafa Ali theory match was fine for what it was. Um, the Ezekiel KO match, I think that kind of holds it back a little bit. And the reaction to Bobby Lashley is good. So it gets a good B plus for me. If it had one more great, great match you get a solid a but two great matches b plus i will also give the show a solid b plus i'll ask stephanie mcmahon a very good show in chicago last night exceeded expectations if there was a bloodline match on this card as you mentioned earlier this could have been an a minus show but still a strong card from wwe nonetheless back to back sold out shows in Providence, Rhode Island, in Chicago, and soon to be Las Vegas at the intimate MG, MGM Grand Gardens Arena in Las Vegas. So fans are buying tickets to see WWE and they got to deliver good cards. And so far for back-to-back shows, they've done so as we head into the heart of the summer season. And with that, that is, this is a wrap on this week's episode of The Wrap right here on the Fiking Media Network. And Scott, thank you as always, despite your boss and Celtics loyalty, for joining me to cover all things WWE. WWE this week. Yeah, you got me here for a couple more weeks. We'll see what happens with this series. Um, the uh, the way you were talking about boycotting 2.0 if Joe Gacy won the title is the way I'm also uh, thinking about just boycotting life for a little bit if the Warriors win the title. So we'll just see what happens. I might have to take a couple days off from work and uh, really just do nothing. So, yeah, I, uh, we'll see how the next few weeks go. But let's go Celtics. Bleed green, baby. Follow me on Twitter, Knee4MarvelVersDC. Go Celtics!
Bleed green. The lies emanating from his mouth right now. Go green. Go green. Go Boston. Go go parkour floor. He's a bullshitter, y'all. He's just a temporary fan. And I am gold-blooded all the way. Go Golden State and to Scott Chagrin, future MVP of the finals, Stephen Curry. Because numbers do not lie. This dude, this dude is about, come on, man. How can we call this dude the MVP of the finals and he's shooting like 40%? Never mind, it's fine. Hopefully they don't even win and we don't even have to have that question. Why can't Clay Thompson, like, like Clay Thompson, where are you at, dude? You should be averaging 30 winning that finals MVP. Now we got Steph really about to legit win a finals MVP. It just, it just makes me sick. Yeah, Clay ain't splashing right now, and that needs to change. But, you know, he's good for a game. If it's a game six, he's pulling up 40. Let's hope not. I hope so, just to make you mad right here on The Wrap. And we'll be back next week covering all things WWE. This will probably be an injury report week as we get more information on Cody Rose's injury tonight on Monday Night Raw. And we'll be back here covering everything from Raw, SmackDown, and NXT for your listening pleasure. So for myself and for temporary Boston Celtics fan Scott Young, that's a wrap on all things WWE.